things are going to go wrong, but things are also going to go right. And in the same way that there's a fear of failure, some people, a lot of us also have a fear of success or we have imposter syndrome. And when you're selecting a co-founder, you need to find someone who's, who's stable. You need to find someone who's truthful. You need to find someone who is compassionate with people. You also obviously want to find someone who's, you know, wickedly smart and very, very talented and all these other things. But if they don't have the morals and they don't have the stick to deal with the ups and downs, in my opinion, your organization is bound to fail. Welcome back to Alexa's Input as simple as possible, as powerful as necessary, right? Welcome to Alexa's Input. The person is probably more interesting than the tool that they're using. Welcome to Alexa's Input! Welcome to the fifth episode of Alexa's 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 Input. Then a six-year-old runs into the data center with a squirt gun and they set that machine into a pile of sparks and flames. Yes, it's a good thing to do. Is it the thing we should be doing? Welcome to Alexa's Input. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Alexa's Input. I hope everyone's having a great spring and holidays if you're celebrating. Yeah, I'm happy to have another episode out. I'm really excited for some of the episodes that are coming up. But for this episode, we have Daniel Berlin with me. Daniel Berlin was a baseball player for the Minnesota Twins and Chicago Clubs before he took over as president of Berlin Properties. And then in 2017, so over five years ago, he co-founded Snapped, which is a data-driven fraud detection technology that analyzes the authenticity of financial documents. Currently, they're trying to prevent financial fraud in the, mul- in the multifamily housing industry. I thought this was really interesting. Apparently, a lot of paychecks and um, financial documents that people upload or try to submit are actually fraudulent. So they're trying to save um, renters and rental people on rentals um, a lot of time by making sure that someone is legit. I don't know. I think it's a really cool idea and really exciting to see how they expand their fraud detection into to other areas and other industries. Um, yeah, so uh, today I have someone that um, is a little different from most of my previous founders uh, in this series of talks, and I think that's great because it adds a different perspective. They tried two different accelerators, and um, so it's cool to hear his perspective about starting a tech company, and um, I really enjoyed talking with him, and I think that you will too. So to learn more about his company, you can go to www.snapped.com. Uh, make sure to check it out and enjoy. Hi, and welcome back to Alexa's Input. On this episode with me, I have CEO of Snapped, Daniel Berland. Daniel, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, very nice to meet you. Yeah, my name is Daniel Berland, and I'm uh, CEO and co-founder here at Snapped. Uh, Great. Okay. First, I want to start off by asking you about your work experience. Uh, What did you do before you founded your own company? 
my first my first job out of college was actually as a uh, professional baseball player. Um, so I got drafted by the Minnesota Twins. I was starting pitcher. Spent a couple of years in the Minnesota Twins system, um, and then I went over to the Chicago Cubs system, where I was kind of a setup and closer in the minor leagues. Um, and then, kind of during that process, um, while I was while I was playing pro ball, uh, my father um, got sick and passed away from cancer. So um, my uh, family business was property management. So uh, at about the age of 23, um, I essentially took over the family business um, and was playing professional baseball and was also running running the family's uh, property management company, uh, of which I had uh, little to no experience. Um, but luckily for me, uh, my co-founder here at Snapped um, also worked in the property management uh, business. So he also had a, had a family business. And uh, you know, Noah and I have been friends since our, since our early 20s. So uh, in the early stages, uh, he and his family kind of brought me in um, and put me under their wing and kind of helped me learn a little bit about how they run their business and, and, and you know, how I could uh, you know, get started with, with Berlin Properties. And um, yeah, kind of during that, during that space, you know, Noah and I would, would constantly collaborate on, you know, different things that we were seeing in the market or, you know, I'm having trouble with this tenant or I found new laminate flooring or, you know, what, what listing service are you using? And, and, and during that process, that's, that's how we came up with the idea of Snapped. Wow. I'm sorry to hear that about your father, but um, it was, it's also a, a great story about how you were able to, to find a co-founder, find someone that you could work with and, you know, make something so successful. So when you were younger, did you always know that you wanted to start a company? Um, was that something you always had in mind? You know, you, your father, you talked about your father having a company, a family business growing up. Is this kind of the mindset you also had when you were um, growing up? Yeah. Um, I guess it probably depends on when in my life you asked me. Uh, I would say until my early 20s, I was definitely laser focused. I had blinders on, you know, I was going to play in major leagues. That's pretty much what my entire life consumed. Um, you know, I did as well as I needed to, um, you know, to, 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 to get through in school, but, but my focus was, was always baseball. Um, obviously once I stepped into, you know, the business world, um, you know, I was, I was totally hooked. Um, and so I certainly knew that I would, that I would, you know, start, uh, at least one thing, if not, if not many. And, and, uh, but yeah, it was definitely once, once I stepped into the business world, that's when it became clear to me that, that this is what I want to do. That's awesome. Um, there are a lot of good lessons you can take from sports and being on a team. Do you think that being on a baseball team and being that serious about baseball, do you think that that helped you to those skills and things you learned and that process do you, during that time? Do you think that that helped you to start a company? Yeah, I think so. I think um, I think one of the things that you learn in sports, uh, if you're doing so for a while, is is how to deal with failure and how to deal with rejection and and how to turn those failures into um, into future success. So I think, I think that's an area um, that intuitively I didn't immediately understand why that maybe, you know, gave me a bit of an advantage. Um, so I think it's that, and, you know, this sounds cheesy, but 
It is, it is true. You know, I played on, I played on many, many teams that had incredible players on it that, that didn't win a lot of games. And I played on a lot of teams where maybe we didn't have a lot of superstars, but, but we won a lot. And it has to do with, with culture and it has to do with how you create a group of individuals that um, are interested, not just in their own performance or their own, um, situation, but also how they can benefit the entire organization or the entire team. And so I think trying to build that, that atmosphere and this culture of, it doesn't matter whose idea it is. It doesn't matter who got something right, who got something wrong. What matters is that we win collectively. So yeah, in that, in that sense, I, I do believe that there are some, some areas from my, my past in, in athletics that, that, have, that, are, that are useful today. I like that. That's a good point. So how did you come up with the idea for the company? You mentioned that you, you, know, you built it together with your co-founder, but how did the actual conversation with the idea, how did that conversation start? Yeah, sure. So um, like most things in my life, uh, this started out of failure. And so, you know, initially Noah and I really hit on this frustration that why is it that when we have a vacant unit um, and you have someone that walks into the walks into that unit who presumably is is qualified, that we don't have a piece of technology where I can actually have this person fill out their application and I can, and I can, uh, and I can, I can approve them like on the spot. Like, why is it that when I walk into a, you know, a, a car dealership, you know, why is it that if I say, Hey, I want that BMW three series that they're going to put me in that little office in the back and they're going to make that transaction happen. I'm going to walk out with holding a pair of keys. Why is that not the case in the property management space? So that was our initial idea was to build snapped as an end to end leasing solution. Um, you know, a way where an applicant can actually apply in the unit, get their credit check run, but also pipe in their, their, their financial information. And then at the very end of the smallest part of this whole platform that we wanted to build was this, was this fraud detection piece, because that was something that Noah and I were aware of is that within our portfolio that we saw applicants uh, providing fake financial documents and didn't see anything out there that could validate whether or not those documents were authentic. So the idea was that this was going to be a very small part of a big end-to-end platform. So we went out, we raised some money, we built an MVP, and I spent a couple of years, you know, pitching and, and essentially banging my head against the wall because the, 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 the dominant feedback that we got was, yeah, 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 this leasing thing seems fine, but can we actually just have this fraud detection piece? And so after basically three years of, of building and pitching and raising for the wrong technology, we decided to pivot in, what, what was that, J- January of 2019 and uh, essentially ditched the end-to-end uh, platform and just decided to, to, to focus on our, on our fraud detection technology. At what point did you si- decide to go all in on the idea? When did you say, okay, I'm going to stop doing you know, the other work I'm doing and I'm going to fully focus and go all in on Snapped? Yeah, I think once we started to get some, once we started to get some genuine traction with customers, and once we started to see that the fraud detection technology was really working, and that I could no longer do two things at once, that that was probably in in mid 2020 was when I really had to step back from my property management business, um, and really start start diving into the snaps, uh, you know, full time. 
Um, you know, I was certainly in a, in a, in a lucky position that I, you know, already had a, had a business that was uh, paying the bills. But after a while, it was very clear that, you know, I could only do one thing or the other. So it was, it was really more of a forcing function of like, I can't do both things anymore. That makes sense. So did you have funding already when you made that decision or did you get the funding afterwards? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, when we decided to pivot to fraud detection, um, we had, you know, a few thousand dollars in our account. So me and Noah Poe and our CTO, we were kind of just putting in as much as we could each month to kind of get the engineering team and kind of get everything off the ground. Um, and then by the summer of 2019, we raised about a million bucks. So at that point, we already had funding, um, but uh, that funding was not going to, to salaries or anything like that. That was strictly going to to an engineering budget, and then our other our other team members. So the the, the executive team wasn't wasn't taking a dollar at that time. So what are some of the big things you learned from you know founding a company? Uh, what are some of the biggest takeaways? that you have at this point in your career and and maybe what were, were some things that uh were unexpected that you learned along the way i think the, i think the biggest thing is 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 to get started you can you can plot and you can plan but the reality is, is that the i think the odds that your first idea is the idea that you're successful with is your first idea is is probably slim to none, unless you're one of those rare geniuses out there, which if that's the case, more power to you. But most of the time, your first idea is going to be wrong. Uh, and, and you'll find out, you know, by varying degrees, how wrong it is. So I think the sooner you can get started, the sooner you can try to put something together in the most cost-effective way possible and test it, go out and speak with customers and go out and find out why what you've done sucks and why what you've done won't solve customers' problems. The sooner you start doing that, the, the closer you are to finding out what will work. So you mentioned at one point you decided to pivot. Can you talk a bit and walk me through how you got that feedback in the process of you know, deciding to pivot and when that happened? Yeah, sure. So, you know, we tried to find every single list or database of property managers in the U.S. And, you know, we sent out as many emails as we could. We, through personal connections, tried to get in front of as many, you know, executives or leasing agents or really anybody within any organization that would somehow possibly be a customer of ours. We tried to get in front of them, you know, uh, by any means necessary. Um, and, you know, the, the, the straw that broke the camel's back was twofold. So we were accepted into an accelerator called Dream It in the fall of the fall of 2018. And through that accelerator, they had this um, kind of like customer immersion portion. And I think that that really cemented that we were building the wrong and that it was going to be a real uphill battle for our original idea, which by the way, maybe I'm biased. I mean, I know I'm biased, but I still think that's a good idea. I just think there's a lot of incumbent softwares and there's a lot of like corporate bureaucracy. That's, that's going to be a really difficult thing to get off the ground, but whoever's listening to doing it, you know, more power to you. 
Um, so the that we got from customers in that in that environment was pretty clear, particularly when it was juxtaposed against other startups that were doing well in those meetings. So it was it was easier to see uh, the the difference between our experience and their experience. And then and then really the the last one was we spoke to the head of technology at the largest property management company in the world, and this person basically said. After I pitched them, they, they were very, they were very kind and let me um, kind of ramble on through my pitch and basically said like, hey, look, can I just be honest with you? We're never going to use this. Um, we're never going to rip out this existing software that we have and try this unproven startup in leasing. It's just never going to happen. But you're telling me that you have this piece of fraud detection, which is a problem that we experience every day. And if you could charge, you know, X amount, I could sell this to my owners all day, every day, you know, you should do that. And yeah, I had heard that enough times. And finally, when you hear it from the largest possible customer in the world that you could get, you know, it was clear that uh, I needed to actually listen to the feedback. Nice. That's some, you know, looking back, probably some great advice, but probably hard to hear in the moment. Um, yeah, looking like back, it was really obvious. <laughs> It's always like that. Hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So it sounds like some of it was intentional, and then some of it was just from talking with people. So you were open to feedback. Yeah, of course. I mean, look, you're gonna find out one way or the other. Um, yeah. Eventually, the rubber meets the road. So it's, you know, it's the old adage, right? It's it's better to it's better to fail sooner than later. That's true. You mentioned that you were in an accelerator program. Can you talk a bit about? Um, how you got in that program and your experience in it? Yeah, sure. So, so we, so we did two of them. Um, and my co-founders uh, like to laugh at me that I was, a, I was a lot more successful at getting us into accelerators than I was at getting us investment. Um, so the the first one that we got into was was with Dreamit, um, and um, I'm trying to remember how I found out about it. I believe, you know, a, a friend said, hey, there's this accelerator I've heard about. It's really good. It focuses on prop tech. You guys should, you guys should try it. So, you know, we applied and we got in. Um, and like I said, you know, the, the learnings from the Dreamit um, uh, accelerator were that we were building the wrong thing. Um, and then fast forward into the summer of, of, 2019, I actually applied for a second accelerator, which is called, uh, which is through a group called Modern Ventures, which is a, a fund out of Chicago. They had this, um, they had this accelerator called uh, Passport, and we got into that one. And of course, my co-founder said, "Well, hey, we've already tried one one accelerator that was kind of a bust. Why would we get into a second one?" And my thought was, "Well." The first one told us that we shouldn't be doing what we're doing. I think this one might actually help us validate and actually might get us in front of the right people um, to, to, to actually grow this thing. And, and uh, you know, luckily that, luckily that was the case. And so again, with, with modern, same sort of process, you know, fill out an application and try to put your best foot forward. And, and um, you know, somehow I think we were like, you know, they selected you know, five, five companies out of, you know, 5,000 or something like that. And we were, we were really lucky to get in and, and it uh, made a huge, huge difference for us. Well, that's amazing. Um, what do you think were your biggest, or what opportunities do you think you got, especially from the second accelerator that you wouldn't have got if you had just, you know, asked for VC funding another way? 
Yeah. So what their, their focus again, kind of like dream it was, was kind of like a customer immersion thing. So what they would do is the different property management company uh, conferences rather around the country, what they would do is they would bring us along to these, to these conferences, they would reserve a conference room, and then they would bring in some of the you know highest up executives at the largest ownership and management uh, groups in the U S and, append, and, and essentially do kind of like a 20 minute sort of speed dating thing. Um, and what it allowed is that I got in front of, again, you know, some of these, some of these huge executives and got to pitch my, my crappy little startup uh, in front of them. And I got to see the reaction. And I think aside from, aside from, you know, this, and the, these people ended up being customers, you know, uh, in the long term afterward, it helped me really understand what product market fit truly was because I could see the reaction that we were getting and understand that this was genuinely something that people were looking for and were willing to pay for, assuming that we had, you know, the right, uh, the, the right, um, uh, you know, backing and, and customer, uh, testimonials and whatnot. But, I could, it was the first time I truly understood what product market fit was opposed to what I was doing for years before, which is trying to slam things down people's throat and kind of getting them to say yes. Yeah, it sounds like it was uh, very valuable. And uh, you went through this with your co-founder, right? At the time that you were going through the second accelerator, how many employees do you, did you have? Was it just you and your co-founder? Yeah, I mean, the award employee is kind of a confusing word because that implies that people were getting paid um, or paid something livable. Uh, I think at the time there would have been, yeah, there would have been six of us, six of us internally. And then, and then you know, we had uh, an external, uh, you know, engineering team. Oh, nice. So you had like a contracted engineering team? Exactly. Cool. So as opposed to say starting a startup by yourself, when you have a co-founder, there's like, you know, you have some you have extra support, but also like another person making a lot of decisions. Um, what do you think is important to keep in mind when you are looking for a co-founder? Things are going to go wrong, but things are also going to go right. And in the same way that there's a fear of failure, some people, a lot of us also have a fear of success or we have imposter syndrome. Um, and when you're selecting a co-founder, you need to find someone who's, who's stable. You need to find someone who's truthful. You need to find someone who is compassionate with people. You also want, obviously want to find someone who's, you know, wickedly smart and very, very talented and all these other things. But if they don't have the morals and they don't have the stick-to-itiveness to deal with the ups and downs, in my opinion, you're your organization is, is bound to fail. So aside from looking for someone with talent, you know, who can you really rely on? Who can you really trust? Um, and I think that has been probably the most important thing about why we're successful is because we have found a group of people that are like that. Uh, because if you've, if you've picked up anything from uh, the story that I'm telling you, it's that we failed for years and years and years. And I was rejected by easily 200 VCs and investors 
before Inside Partners wrote us a check for $100 million. And that's only because of the people in this organization. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. I'm sure you've went through a lot of hard times together. Is there any like certain type of failures that specifically feel like that made you grow? I, I know you mentioned already like the accelerator, but are there any other um, times that were like difficult for you to get through and you came out stronger because of it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 hope, I hope all of them, I hope all of them. Um, but I think one of the things that we've learned over time that I think has helped us the most is, is understanding conflict and understanding where it's coming from and understanding, um, understanding failure. And, and, you know, we adopt a philosophy of it doesn't matter. doesn't matter whose idea it is. All that matters is that we have the best idea. So there's that. And we also try to be a no blame culture. So if a mistake is made, we want to understand the mistake. We want to understand the failure. We want to know why it happened. It's not, but it's not important necessarily like who made the mistake and to chastise them. It's about recognizing and correcting, improving. Yeah, that's a great point. You know, a no blame culture, which um, in my company, we have that as well. And just in general, setting up certain things about culture in the workplace is important. How did you go about setting up uh, a good culture? We, I think, I mean, again, I think, I think it starts with how you hire and the people that you bring in. Um, if you have a, you know, if you have a strong door at the front, you know, that's how you, that's how you stop, uh, that's how you stop negative people from getting in. So I think, I think where it starts is making sure that the individuals that you bring in are going to are going to reflect the culture that you want the business to have. Um, and then in areas where, um, you know, good people have bad days. I mean, I'm a, a, a jerk more often than I would like to be. And so making sure that, that the people that are there um, and you've created an environment where they can call you out when you're not living up to, you know, your end of the bargain. So it's getting the right people in, but also having an environment where, um, you know, people can call each other out in the right way. I 100% agree with that. I think that like you can have something on a website that says these are our main values or this is our culture, but um, where it really starts is with the people because you can have that list, but if the people don't actually um, have those characteristics, then it's kind of just a list on a page. <laughs> so I 100% agree with that. Um, I'm curious, so what does your day-to-day -day look like? Uh, what, a, what is your responsibility now and how has that evolved? Yeah, I mean, uh, the biggest evolution is, you know, now we, we have been incredibly capital efficient to date and we have come from a scarcity mentality um, the past five years of like, how can we maximize with, the little that we have. Um, and now it's about thoughtfully changing our mindset to, well, what's the most we can do with what we have? Um, and, you know, how can we expand the team thoughtfully? How do we, how do I get myself and the members of our team to be, instead of seeing how much we can do, how to make sure that, that the, the, the work that each person is doing is, is maximized as best it can to what their 
talents and their uh, uh, interests are. And in areas where they're being burdened by things that aren't necessarily their talent, their interests or whatnot, that we can find other individuals who might, that might be their passion to kind of take on. So it's, it's a lot of hiring. It's a lot of, you know, trying to, um, you know, think a couple, a couple steps ahead as it comes to scaling. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the majority of, of, of what my day-to-day is, is, is trying to make sure that this thing can, can keep going and keep scaling. Awesome. Yeah. It seems like it's definitely a transition time, um, but in a good way, because you're growing so much. Uh, what are you looking forward to in the future? What are your goals for your company and um, how do you want it to evolve? Yeah. I mean, our, our thesis and, and luckily our, our investors thesis as well is that is that you know the, the verification of, of financial documents is is, uh, is industry agnostic. So we are very excited to bring snaps technology to consumer loans, auto loans, banking, you know on and on and on and on. So you know there's a tremendous amount of opportunity out there. however, we're also, um, as far as we know, the only um, solution, particularly uh, in, in property management. So it's balancing this greenfield that we have, opportunity that we have in the vertical that we're already in with the uh, other exciting opportunities of taking our technology and bringing them into, into all these other verticals that obviously expand our TAM dramatically. And so it's gonna be that balance of you know, extend the lead where we are um, and, and have focus here, yet also um, thoughtfully transition and, and try to, you know, bring our, our technology elsewhere. Sounds exciting. Um, yeah, what if- particularly when you have no idea what you're doing. It's very <laughs> good. <laughs> That's true. Um, what advice would you give someone starting a startup now? Yeah, I mean, get started right away. Find, find, a, find a co-founder. Um, that you can that you can trust and that trusts you, um, and immediately in the most cost-effective way that you can, find out why your idea is awesome or why it sucks. Yeah, definitely some of the points you fit sounds like some great things to keep in mind. So, what is what do you think is the best part of starting a startup versus say if you were to work for um, someone else? Yeah, I think it's I think it's it's incredibly rewarding because of the depths of your soul that it makes you deal with. It makes you stare failure, public humiliation, you know, all of these sorts of things directly in the face, experience them and then realize that your ego really doesn't matter <laughs> at all. Um, and the, the personal development that comes that comes from it. Um, this would not be such a worthwhile pursuit if it was incredibly easy to do. And so I think it's the fulfillment that you get from from pushing through hard times um, and also the the personal development that comes from that journey. Yeah, it sounds very rewarding for sure. We talked about some things that are hard, but what do you think is like I don't want to say the worst thing about starting a startup, but the hardest thing. Well, I guess the hardest thing for me was pitching VCs. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of other people clearly that are a lot better at than, than I am. Um, but yeah, to me, that was, to me, that was incredibly challenging because I think the, I think the early stage VC world is, is, uh, 
you know, it's challenging for them to navigate. I understand that each one of them has their thesis and their, the reason why they, they raised their fund was, all, you know, was built off the back of their thesis. So, you know, in a weird way, sometimes their, their incentives aren't necessarily aligned with your incentives. And, you know, they're trying to push you into a box. And so the question is, well, if you do truly have an innovative idea, you know, are you, are you not able to fit in, in other people's box? And the question is, well, do I want to, do I want to shift what I'm doing just to raise money or should I be raising money for the thing that I truly believe in? So I, I think the fundraising part, it was, was, was incredibly challenging for us. It sounds like dating, but almost worse in a way. <laughs> like you're trying to find a perfect fit, but also this is like a business. So it's like a lot of things going on too. But also be true to yourself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It sounds like it's probably hard to get the right story and the right pitch so that you convey, you know, the right, the right, your values clearly. And so that they can be able yeah. to. And I think, and I think the temptation is to try to tell them what you think they want to hear versus what you want them to hear and what is true to you. So yeah, always sticking to your guns, even though it might not be um, the easiest route would be, would be my advice. Yeah, that's something that I've also heard from, you know, talking with other founders too, is that that funding round was like pretty difficult. But yeah, is there um, anything else that you would like to leave the people listening with? That's, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, again, for me, it's fine. It's it's all about the people that you surround yourself with. It's all about culture and uh, get started as soon as possible. Nice. Thank you so much. It was a yeah, my pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Alexa's Input. Make sure to subscribe so you know when the next episode comes out. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at Alexa's Input. Finally, any donations are welcome. You can go click the link on in the description, go to the anchor page, and I do take donations because I edit and record these podcasts on my own. So those are very much appreciated. Thank you, and I'll see you next time.